podcast. The book of Acts picks up right where the four gospels leave off. The risen Christ commissioned his disciples to go into all the world and preach the good news. Acts tells us exactly how that happened, how the soul-saving message of the gospel spread throughout the entire Roman Empire in less than 30 years. Through enormous obstacles and without many resources, proven leadership, or modern technologies, these early Christians turned the world upside down because they had the Holy Spirit at work in their lives. This is their story. Let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through this amazing book. Alrighty, are you ready to get started, Happy Church? Let's do this. Some great insights and revealing once again the beautiful grace and mercy and power of our God. Nobody is too difficult for Him to reach with His love. We're going to see a great example of that in this morning's passage. Let's pray together. Father, Now, with this great conversion, the greatest conversion of all times, because it involves a man who you used to write half of the New Testament, and just so many wonderful truths that set our hearts free. We ask that you would give us eyes that can see, ears that can hear, and a heart that can understand. In Christ's name, amen. If it's one thing we know from the Christmas narrative, it's why Jesus came down from heaven. It's because he wanted to save his people from their sins. As Joseph is told to name Jesus, Jesus, Joshua or Yeshua in the Hebrew, because as we already mentioned this morning earlier, that he was born to save, and that's what uh, the name means. And so uh, whosoever believes, that's who becomes his people. He will save his people from their sins. And so uh, his people how to become his people is easy. Whosoever believes. Now some whosoever's Uh, coming to saving faith and having a change of heart, that's what repentance means, Uh, seem more impossible than others, right? So, But I like what Jesus said about salvation. He goes, uh, the apostles and the disciples were saying, who then can be saved? uh, It just seems impossible. He goes, bingo. With man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. I was thinking along the same lines about somebody I know and love that just seems so lost. And in my mind, I'm like, it's just never going to happen. And then this scripture came to mind, the Lord speaking through Jeremiah. I am the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? Love that. Chapter 32 and verse 27, note taker. So keep that in mind with people we might be tempted to think there's just no way so-and-so will ever turn to the Lord. That's what everybody thought about the lead character in Acts chapter 9 and who will be a lead pretty much from now on until the end of Acts chapter 28. 
And so, yes, nobody saw this man and said, oh, he's this close. Rather, they would see this man coming and run for their lives because he hated Christians. And he was not just disinterested in the gospel. He was a terrorist. And um, with the sole purpose in life to just eradicate the gospel from the face of the earth and those who preach it with it. And so, yeah, if you think about the New Testament and all those books, 13, 14 books, and all the wonderful revelations and the grandeur and the the awesome theology and these beautiful truths about God, uh, even the New Testament says that those words are God-breathed. And my question to you is, through whom did God breathe? to bring those truths to life. Shocking as it may sound, the hands that held the quill were the hands that loved to kill Christians. This is an irony of irony. And now we're going to see the Apostle Paul in his former life known as Saul of Tarsus. Tarsus, by the way, is southeastern Turkey, modern day terms. And We find him doing what he was always doing for several years now here in hot pursuit of believers. And the believers, as you will recall, got uh, scattered because they're running for their lives. They fled, some of them, 125 miles north, crossed the international border into Syria to find refuge in the Jewish community in Damascus there. And he is hunting them down, even to a foreign country. Let's take a look at this maniac. (laughs) Verse 1, meanwhile Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. (laughs) Hard to imagine. This is the apostle Paul, what? He went to the high priest Caiaphas who had condemned Jesus to death. He asked Caiaphas for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way that was, they called us a cult. We were called the way. Whether men or women, he might take some of them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Okay, we're off and running. No takers, we meet Saul, the murderous Pharisee. Now, so meanwhile, is in your text there in verse 1, It's meant for the reader to keep context in mind. So as the gospel has been exploding and out of control, so too Saul of Tarsus. He's imploding and he's breathing out murderous threats. In the Greek, it's inhaling rage and exhaling hate. He's the real deal. He is like a fire... A breathing dragon. That's who he is. And so, yeah, um, even after jailing, flogging, and killing the more prominent Christians, and um, the message of eternal life just keeps spreading like this wildfire, and there's the devil and all his helpers, There's they can't find a big enough fire hose uh, with the, enough water to put it, the flame of the Holy Spirit out. And God is determined to, to save the world and whosoever believes in him. And so, yeah, little does this 
Pharisee, frustrated and furious as he is, know that he's going to be the chosen instrument to not hinder the gospel, but to promote the gospel far and wide, more than any other living human being. So uh, that's going to be a little joke on him. You know, G. Campbell Morgan said, the very fact that Saul uh, becomes a Christian, let alone the Apostle Paul, is a testimony enough of the power and truthfulness of the Christian faith. I mean, there's no way to explain Paul the Apostle, or for us for that matter. Most of us, we were not, all of us were not believers. There's no reason for any of us to have come to that which we didn't want to come to, except that a miracle happened and there is a God. So yeah, meanwhile, so meanwhile, as the gospel's going forth to Ethiopia, uh, as the Samaritans are bowing the knee to Christ, uh, verse one, he's still at it. And so he has no plans to tap out. And so, yeah, you know, murderous rage, uh, murderous threats is to show you that he's not, um, that the the threats are not empty. They're real. So he's saying to a Christian, he says, listen, I will kill you. I will kill you with my bare hands if I have to do it. I, I, I will have you killed. You will suffer and you will die. Like your mouthy food pantry guy, Stephen. We, it was our delight to, to crush him to death underneath the stones and you're next. And what about your master? You know what? Could he escape us? No, he didn't. We nailed your master to a piece of wood. We crowned him with thorns. He died a slow, painful death, humiliated. We can and we will do it to you. Keep it up. You're going to end up on a cross. I promise you. That's him. That's Saul of Tarsus. And so what's he so upset about? We've talked a little bit about it. The resistance. Team Saul, the old guard, the guys guarding the lifeless religion, they're losing. (laughs) There's a mega church now scattered, yeah? But the Samaritans have the gospel. Ethiopia is going to have the gospel. There's no stopping it, you know. And so they're, they're, <laughs> these mass conversions are, are driving them crazy. Not to mention, personally, a lot of commentators point out that uh, Saul is losing the battle of unbelief in his own heart, and he senses that. He's being drugged by the Holy Spirit. He's being prodded. We know that from his testimony. That the Lord is prodding him for years. It's been painful. Uh, he, he knows, he senses, he's going to come to faith. He's going to lose this thing. And he's losing his hold. Boy, he's taking on water. His kingdom is crumbling. And so now he's not going to go out without a fight. So he's wreaking, quote, wreaking havoc on the church, entering every Christian house and dragging off Christian men and Christian women, Christian daddies, Christian mommies, and throwing them into prison. That's what he's doing. That's unbelievable to me. Because why? He's losing inside. Oh no, I'm slipping. I'm slipping toward the enemy, you know. Uh, C.S. Lewis felt the same way. And uh, he describes it in a famous quote. I have it for you. He wrote, 
You must picture me in that room in Magdalene where he taught at that college. Night after night feeling, whenever my mind lifted, even for a second from my work, the steady, unrelenting approach of him who I so earnestly desired not to meet. (laughs) That which I greatly feared had at last come upon me in the Trinity term of 1929. I gave in. I admitted that God was God and knelt and prayed, perhaps that night the most dejected and reluctant convert in all England. (laughs) This is how we all kind of came, kicking and dragging our feet, and oh, the madness and oh, the folly of running from a loving God, the creator of your life, loves you and wants to save you from eternal condemnation. That's crazy. Jeremiah was so right. Chapter 17, verse 9. The heart is sick beyond all knowing. Who can figure out? It's on sabotage all the time. It is sick and beyond cure, deceitful above all things. The only thing that can cure it is the Holy Spirit. And so, yeah, he's fighting that losing battle. And so, yeah, it seems like uh, he is not going to go down uh, uh, peacefully. I remember the ambush in my own life. I told a guy who, my father had become a Christian. I told dad, dad, stop talking about Jesus. We're Jews. We don't do Jesus, okay? And he's like, Jesus was Jewish. And I'm like, oh, so we we moved. I moved out of the house in 1979 in the spring. It was the ambush. I, I I saw it coming. In fact, I told a guy who witnessed to me on Powell Street, waiting for a cable car. He's preaching. I've told this part of the testimony before. He's preaching open air with the Bible. I'm hiding in a crowd, and I'm thinking, oh, there it is again. That Jesus stuff. Oh no! And and he's gonna come and find me. I know it. I know it. And he comes through the crowd finds me and says, hey, man, you know the Lord is your Savior? And I said, no, but I have a funny feeling I'm gonna. <laughs> and I said, why would you even say that? And I said, my dad is this old Jewish guy, and now he's talking about Jesus. I was on a bus two weeks ago, and this lady's like, hey, son, do you know the Lord? And I'm like, what? Did, do you know my dad? Did he send you? <laughs> you know, It's just a conspiracy. And the guy goes, you should come down peacefully. Because you don't want God to turn up the heat, but he does. And so this guy's not coming peacefully. He goes to Caiaphas, he gets the papers, he gets the authority, and boom, you know, he's gonna he's gonna die trying. That's what he's gonna do. And and by the way, before we go forward to his actual conversion, uh, they called us the way, the people of the way. Why? They meant it as an insult. They called us a cult. Uh, To King Agrippa in his testimony in Acts 26, Paul says, yes, okay, I admit it. I'm I'm a worshiper of God and a follower of the way, which they call a cult. That's what he says. They use the cult card. They do that a lot, right? And so, uh, you know, where did they get the word from? The name. We're always talking about the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus. We're always talking about the way to get to heaven, the way to live your life, the way to be blessed, the way not to live. So they named us 
the way. They're the people of the way, the way, the way. And you know what? I wrote down here, whatever. You know what? I, you know what? I am very happy to know the way out of this insane world. This world that has taken on water uh, uh, and the Bible said is destined to, quote, pass away. And we get to see, you know, the bow end up or whatever, the stern, it's going down. And so I'm happy to know the way off that vessel and onto the good ship called salvation. Amen. <laughs> and so, yes, indeed. So time for the menacing murderer to meet the merciful Messiah. There's a lot of M's in there. And let's go on to verse 3. As he neared the gates of Damascus, the oldest city in the world as it's called, on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashes around him. He falls to the ground and hears a voice say, Saul, Saul, what's the matter with you? Why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I'm Jesus, who you're persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you've got to do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. Duh. They heard the sound but didn't see anyone because they don't want to see anyone. Verse 8, Saul got up from the ground but when he opened his eyes he could see nothing and he could see everything. So they led him by the hand into Damascus for three days. He was blind in the dark, by himself, in the quiet, didn't eat and didn't drink anything. That's good posture for a guy who's a serial killer of Christians, I think. Let's give him, put him on timeout for a few days. Give him something to think about. And boy, he did. So we've moved from the um, furious Pharisee, if you want to call him that, and to the merciful Savior. So boom. In one flash and quick, one day changes everything. Like I love to say about him, nobody said the day before, now there goes a guy who's this close to coming to the <laughs> Lord. Nope. And what about you in that thing that's bugging you? The thing that you think is stuck, it's always going to be that way. The painful thing. In one second, like this, boom, changed. Can happen. It may just happen. Keep believing. Keep praying. Uh, so the Lord gets his man. The one on his way to arrest is now arrested himself. And it just reminds me of that poem, 1800s, late 1800s, English poet Francis Thompson, The Hound of Heaven. And I cried the first two services. It moves me to tears every time because it's our story, isn't it? The Hound of Heaven, how God just pursues us. I fled him down the nights and down the days I fled him, down the arches of the years I fled him, down the maze-like ways of my own mind, and in the mist of tears I hid from him, and under running laughter, down gigantic glooms of chasm-like fears, from those strong feet, capital F, that followed that followed hard after me. Sound familiar, right? Looking back after your conversion, you're like, oh, the Lord's been working on me for a long, long time because he loves us, right? And so, yeah, it's crazy that we're running from our Savior, you know, like the guy who 
despises the lifeguard trying to save you from drowning. Why would you despise him? Why would you spit in his face and dishonor him? He's trying to save you. And it's worse. This lifeguard drowns on your behalf and says, you, you deserve to drown. You're not even a good person. You're not a noble person. You're a wicked person. But I'll drown for you so that you can live. And still we run. And still he chases. Thank God for his grace. Amen. So uh, Saul is tapping out now here. Uh, and he is going to uh, cause the angels to rejoice in heaven. What's beautiful is in Luke 15, 7, the Lord wants you to know when one person changes the course from hell to heaven, all of heaven rejoices. The angels have a song about you. That, that's amazing because heaven knows what a tragedy one who perishes. That first second in hell, the first three seconds you realize, whoops, it was all true, and now I'm here forever. That's why when one changes, all of heaven erupts. Was Whew, wow, we got another one. Happy for it. And so they're happy. To quote those first two lines from a hymn I love, Oh love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. And now Saul has found rest. For uh, little bits and pieces of his testimony, he he threads it throughout the New Testament, all his writings. Uh, You'll find it little bits here in 1 Corinthians 15, Galatians chapter 1, Philippians chapter 3, verse Timothy uh, chapter 1. For the fuller testimony, he gives it twice in Caesarea under arrest for being a Christian, preacher, uh, in Acts 22 to Governor Festus, and then Governor Festus uh, resigns and Governor Felix comes on, and Felix has a friend named King Herod, and King Herod comes, and then he gives his testimony again. And like all of our testimonies, he will emphasize different things and de-emphasize different things, depending on the audience and what the purpose and how he's being led of the Holy Spirit. There are parts of my testimony I leave out. Parts of my testimony I will bring in something new, you know. And uh, it all depends on what's going on. So you'll find, oh, wow, I didn't know this part or that part here. So, uh, for example, in this text I've been using here from uh, Acts 26, about noon, O king, he's telling the story that we just read, but he adds something that I like, and we'll talk about it. As I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun. We didn't, okay. Blazing, we didn't know it was noontime. You know, Uh, and we all fell to the ground. I heard a voice saying to me in my mother tongue, that's early Hebrew, Saul, 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 why do you persecute me? (laughs) It's hard for you to kick against the goats, right? We'll explain that. So God gets through to him. What's brighter than the sun? Answer, the one who created it. Colossians 1.16 says this about Jesus. For by him and for him, all things were created. (laughs) Where does it say that in the Bible Jesus is God? Right there. Write that one down. 
He created all things. And so he's the radiance of God's glory, and he calls himself the light of the world. So no wonder Paul can't see anything. The rods and cones in the eyeballs have suffered a major blow. Whose voice is louder than our own sinful nature that's screaming out of everybody? Oh, did you not hear your sinful nature when you first heard the gospel? No! You'll lose everything. Nobody will like you anymore. You'll start singing all of those songs. You'll be reading the Bible. You'll be going to a church where the guy goes on and on and on and on. (laughs) You don't have to laugh at all my (laughs) jokes. (laughs) Yeah, so yeah. Who's louder than your own pride, stubbornness, lust, and desire to run your own life? The one who created you. The one who created your ear. He knows how to speak to the ear he created and the heart that he designed. He gets through. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, he snaps into pieces the redwoods of, the, of Lebanon. Psalm 29. So he spoke and he has felled this Jewish cedar of a Pharisee. Verse 14 there, he's laying on the ground. Uh, one fell swoop, and the, he, and he, his life will never be the same. Your life will never be the same, and my life will never be the same as well. The whole world will change. Saul, Saul, is God mad at him? Well, not anymore. He's not mad at him. Saul, Saul, is God's way of showing passion or emotion or sympathy. Saul, Saul, Martha, Martha, come on, you're so. Wrapped up in everything, you're missing out. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, oh, you're breaking my heart. You see, it's a double thing there. And then you've got, um, what's the problem? He says, well, you got it out for me. You know, what I like about that is he's probably thinking, I've got a problem with Christians and the gospel. And then Jesus says, no, sir, you have the problem with me, first and foremost. What's bothering you about them? doesn't have its origin in them. They're saying what I said. They're living how I lived. And so what's rubbing you the wrong way and the thing that makes you want to kill them is not originally in them, it's from me. So your problem isn't with them. Your problem is with me. You don't hate them. First and foremost, you hate me. And that is the struggle and the truth behind every single person who resists your message. Because they're not resisting your message. They have a problem with the one who gave the message, the source of the message. Didn't Jesus say that? Keep in mind when they persecute you, if they hate you, just keep in mind they hate me first. It's because of me. You know, he takes it personally, and that's what he's saying. You know, every single person who's ever given you a hard time, every loss you've ever incurred, because of your faith, Jesus has taken it personally and will repay. He says, vengeance is mine. I will repay that because they did it to me, not you. Yes, for you, he understands that. But it works positively too. When we do kindnesses to other believers, he takes it personally. He says, I I know when you're helping Katie Wilson and Adam, that you're doing it out of love for me and because my word says you should do you're doing it to me. So thank you very much in advance for helping me with the loss of my child. 
That's how he sees it. That's how he's at. That's how he's going to tell the survivors of the tribulation who risked their life to do Christian deeds. Matthew 25, he's going to tell them, hey, thanks for visiting me in prison. Tough times, the great tribulation. You could have got killed for that. Thank you for visiting me. I didn't have any food because I couldn't buy or sell because I couldn't take the mark. And so I really appreciate you feeding me and clothing me during those dark days. Thank you for doing that for me. And then they say, the survivors of the tribulation, excuse me, <laughs> happy you're happy, but when did we ever see you? Oh, when you did it for the ordinary nobody Christian, you did it for me. That was, thank you very much, and I have a reward for you. He said, you're not going to lose your reward even a cup of cold water. For the most insignificant Christian, the one you refreshed in just this tiny little went out of your way and refreshed somebody, he, he says, thank you. You refreshed me. And I got a reward for that. He says, you won't lose your reward. <laughs> Stuff has been piling up. If you're engaged and you're, you're, you're help, trying to help, Stuff's been piling up. And you're going to get there, and you are going to be blown out of your mind. You're going to be like, what? And I think, I think I'm going to feel like, oh, had I known, had I known, I would have worked a little harder, I would have sinned a little less, I would have given a little more. Had I known, this is temporary, that's so, yeah, back to the question. Why are you fighting against me? Isn't it hard to kick against the goats? The goats. He's saying, you know, I'm God. You, somewhere along the line, you got the picture that God's after you. So why are you still fighting? Is it, doesn't that sound crazy to you? And, and doesn't it hurt to kick against the goat? The goad, the long prong to goad, the, to, to, to prod the livestock that's stubborn, that doesn't want to go the right way. So you... Come on, go that way. And the oxen doesn't appreciate being poked with a sharp instrument, so the dumb ones, instead of doing what it's told, just kicks back into the goad. <laughs> the self-inflicted wounds, they're the worst. That's what he's trying to say. Dude, we could do this the easy way or the hard way, and you, you push me all the way. The goad of Stephen dying with his face glowing with a sermon only the Apostle Paul could rival. From the food pantry guy, he preached an equally scholarly wow sermon that only Paul could have preached or really fully appreciated. Goad, he's real. Look at this. Look at the way he died. God, don't hold this sin against him as he's being crushed to death. Next to Paul standing there, going, kill him. Forgive him. Another goat, another tweak, another thing. He says, haven't you been feeling that? So, I mean, God will do this. He'll use the carrot on the stick or use the goat. I mean, he wants to get us, right? So how many of you came, the carrot on the stick is, oh, pleasure's at his right hand forevermore. Your, your sins will be forgiven. You'll enjoy the love of God. You'll be blessed with eternal life. He'll give you wisdom, all of the wooings of his love. How many of you came because of the carrot? You're like, oh, that carrot looks good. No, <laughs> you're just like all the rest. 
How many of you came because he had the goad? He was goading you. Raise your hand. And you are just like the rest. You've opted out of the survey. You didn't answer. You know, you're, you're, and here's your answer. Here's what I think you're saying by, by opting out of the survey. I think you're saying this. It was a little bit of both. Yeah? Did I nail it? How many of you? A little bit of both. There you are. Not many of you. How many of you know the Lord? <laughs> just just want to know what's going on there. Yeah, so I'm always curious about the guys who see the light and they hear the sound. They don't hear the voice. They don't get it. They're going to go on. They're going to run back to Caiaphas. Oh, you're not going to believe it. Paul had like a seizure, you know, and knocked his head on the ground. And then he wakes up and he starts talking about Jesus. Yeah, crazy. Why didn't they get saved? Why, why is that? I'll preach the same message to the same crowd and one will go, oh, boom. He hears the voice. He sees the light. He's, his whole life changes. And the guy right next to him in the same boat, yeah, they'll say something like, I got a flash or something, you know, I got, saw the flash, I heard a little bit of the inside, oh, I got moved a little bit emotionally. So they're like, the guys. And Jesus keeps going. And they got left behind. Why? Because they don't want to hear the voice. Somewhere along the line, Paul prayed the desperate pray, prayer. I see what's happening. I'm, I'm sort of believing this nonsense. If, if you're Messiah, I need to know. I need a little push. Something like that. Nobody got saved against their will. Totally. Something in him clicked, and it was saving. And God said, here, let me help you. <laughs> Amen. So let's move on now to the um, hesitant uh, disciple. We've got to get through the gates and see what goes on there. Verse 10, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. I want to just call your attention to Ananias and Judas. God's redeeming those two memories. In their recent memories are these two bad guys. Ananias, who was struck dead for his deceitfulness, and Judas, who hung himself, who betrayed the Lord. Jesus said, would have been better for him not to have been born. So God is going to replace their memories with guys who are the real deal. And say, look, Ananias and Judas, they didn't destroy the gospel or, or, or hinder the work of God. And I'm just going to replace them. Goodbye to them. And hello to the real deal, Ananias, and the real deal, Judas. Now, it's not a coincidence you picked these two guys' names. In Damascus, the disciple Ananias. The Lord calls to him in a vision. I think he's having a dream. It could mean in the day as well, but I think it's a dream. Ananias, yes, Lord, he says in the dream. The Lord tells him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he's praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. I love this. <laughs> I'm giving you both dreams about each other. <laughs> All right, so in his dream, he's saying, another guy's having a dream about you, 
and you're having a dream about him. So there you go. I'm God, I can do that. Um, verse 13, Lord Ananias answers, I've heard many reports about this guy and all the harm he's done to your saints. Saints is the first time it's used there in the New Testament. It means to separate two. It means to be made holy, not moral perfection. He's done a lot of harm. Verse 14, and he's come here. Maybe you haven't heard. <laughs> With the authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. Next slide. Please. That's always the answer. Uh, but the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles, the nations, their kings, their governors, before the people of Israel. It's going to be a big deal. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Let's talk about this. And so Ananias, I love it. Ordinary guy, he's not an elder, he's not a deacon. He's not an evangelist, he's not a teacher, he's not a pastor. He's just a guy who loves the Lord and says, use me. I don't know, Ananias, can you handle this serial, former serial Christian killer who's hurt some of your friends? Who maybe tossed somebody in jail that you love? Can you be his BFF for a while and situ get him situated and, and be the instrument I use to heal the guy who kills people like you? Are, you? are you up for this? And at first he's a little hesitant, but the guy does do it. And then he goes to Judas. Somehow he saw a guy named Judas has a house, maybe has a wife and kids. Hey, we need a place for Saul. He's arrived. He's arrived. He's here. He's in town. Yeah, but it's a long story, but he saw the Lord and He's different now. How do you know? How do you know? Can we stay at your house, bro? Just tell me. Can we, can we bring the Christian persecutor into your home? So at, in the middle of the night, you can wonder, what was that sound? Is somebody getting up from their bed? And Judas says, absolutely. I trust the Lord. Let's give the guy a chance. And you know, Paul, Never forgot those two men. They reached out to him. They loved him. And wherever he went, they, were, they had a special place in his heart. And so, yeah, he says, I'm giving you guys the same dream. And listen, um, he's praying now. And that's the first time he prays. Oh, he's prayed all his life. He's a devout Jew. They pray morning, noon, and night. But he never prayed. He didn't have a mediator. He prayed, you know, wrote prayers, mechanical prayers, self-righteous prayers. The prayer of the Pharisee, Jesus exposed it. He said, they pray standing there uh, all proud about themselves and they say, oh dear Lord, thank you for making me me and not those wretched sinners, Gentiles out there. Thank you that, that I'm so great and I tithe down to my vegetable garden. And yeah. So that's not a prayer. So Saul has said many prayers, but he had never prayed. And now he is praying. And the Lord tells Ananias this happy little news. I want you to go to this repentant killer of Christians and restore his sight. So Ananias needs to inform the Lord. 
you know. He says, Lord, look, I know all about this, and perhaps you don't know. Uh, he's a pretty serious threat, and he's done a lot of damage to your people. I don't know if you're aware of this or factoring this in before you ask me to do this. God's so patient with us. Well, just listen to the way we pray to him, you know, you know. And Lord, get this. He's gone to the authorities and he has official documents to arrest guys like me. You want me to go there? And although I can just hear the Lord go, oh, you're kidding me. No. Honest? <laughs> oh, well then, no, 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 no. The Lord says, you know, thanks for the report. Um, now let's try it again. Get up and do what I'm asking you to do because Saul belongs to me now. He belongs to us. He's a brother in the faith. And, 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 and he says he's going to be a mover and shaker. And, and let me tell you this, P.S., now the shoe is going to be on the other foot. And he doesn't say, and now I'm going to show him what it's like to suffer. No, he's going to say, sadly... The one who's caused all the suffering, sadly, is going to learn what it means to be a Christian and suffer now. He's going to have his fair share, Ananias. So uh, actually, you're gonna, your heart's going to break for what he's going to go through. Because I'm going to put him out there. Let's finish up here. We'll be done. Just a couple comments. Then Ananias went to the house and he entered it, <laughs> tiptoed over to Saul. <laughs> Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fall from Saul's eyes, something flaky, a film comes off and he can see. He gets up and he's baptized and after taking some food, after being baptized, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus it goes on. Next slide, please. Okay, at once he began to preach. Sorry. <laughs> okay, yeah, the glasses are, are failing me. <laughs> at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't this the guy who... who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name. And hasn't he come here to take them prisoners? What's going on here? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus, proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Yes. That. So we have the murderous Pharisee, the merciful Savior, the hesitant disciple, and the new creation. It's through Paul's pen that comes. Therefore, if anybody's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old, thank goodness, is gone. The new has come. And so welcome to the family. The first word that God puts in his mouth to this crazy man is brother. Welcome. Not fear and anxiety. And Paul's thinking, they're going to ostracize me. Who's going to forgive me? How can they welcome me? They're going to be scared of me. It's brother, you're part of the family. We have the same father now. The same spirit, the same blood that saves you, saves us, was shed on our behalf. You're part of the family. And you may be ousted from the Sanhedrin family. Oh yeah, they're going <laughs> to excommunicate you in a matter of days. Your wife will probably leave you, and she probably did. Pharisees had to be married. You don't hear about her. She, Paul is single, he tells the Corinthians. But you're our brother. 
we'll take care of you. You're one of us. And so, yeah, now your eyes will be open, brother, and you'll be filled with the same spirit that fills all believers, the spirit of Christ himself. And boom, he wants to be baptized. Of course he wants to be baptized. He gets it. He's a sinner. No Jew in their right mind ever got baptized. They were in on basis of being related to Abraham. As they always told Jesus, we don't need any saving from any slavery of sin. We're, ch- we're children of Abraham. God said, I'll bless your children. And we're his children, so we're in. And uh, that's why they didn't get baptized. Because they didn't see it. It was only for Gentiles. But Paul says, baptize me. There's a river that runs through Damascus. Boom. Get me into that water. I want it because I'm a sinner. I need to die to the old Saul and be raised. And all of that shame and remorse and regret and the pain and suffering and the haunting memories of all of their faces that I harmed. God's children. I stumbled them. I hurt them. And I persecuted God's heart. Wash me. Let that man die. Cover him over. And raise me up to the new creation Paul. He says, I'm not worthy to be called an apostle. Every time I hear the word apostle, I cringe because I was a persecutor of God's church. He says, but, you know, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And God's grace is not in vain to me because I'm going to work harder than everybody else. Because he who's been forgiven much loves much. That's what Jesus said. So Paul is motivated by the haunting Memories of who he used to be and what he's done to live a more devoted life than most. Let the past not haunt you to condemn you, but to motivate you to say, you know what? I'm going to do more good with this life you've given me than harm. That's how I'm going to repay you. And that's how he's repaying the Lord as being the Apostle Paul. He did a good job of it uh, from all outward appearances. And so, yeah, I just noticed that he gets baptized before they eat. You haven't eaten in three days. You haven't had water in three days. No, no, what's more important? I I need to be baptized. Love it. Love it. Uh, Jews are like that, though. They're like, we don't need... A savior, thank you, we're Abraham's children. Do you know that Jews will not kneel in worship? Jewish people do not kneel in worship. That's for Gentiles. We don't need to beg God. We're his chosen people. That's what they believe. Oh, but you will. You will kneel. The Jews will kneel. It's called the apocalypse. It's called a valley called Megiddo. And when they're surrounded, they kneel. And they cry out to Yeshua. And Jesus saves them. Romans 11, verse 25. They get saved because they bow the knee. And so, yes, indeed, uh, baptized. There he is. Now he's eating. (laughs) I just imagine uh, them saying, Brother Saul, you want to ask the blessing? And there he goes. Man, the first time he can eat with maybe Gentiles, he's in Syria. 
The first time he can eat with peace, he's not asking, oh, did you make this in a kosher, kosher kitchen? Is this kosherly approved by the rabbi? Uh, oh, give me the cup and the plate. This is what Pharisees did before every meal. They grab the cup and the plate, and they do this hocus-pocus sanctimonious, holier than thou, all these prayers and rituals to cleanse the cup and the plate from uh, spiritual cooties. And they would tell the disciples who didn't do it, and Jesus didn't do it, why are you guys eating with unwashed hands? And Jesus would say, why are you eating with unwashed hearts? You see. But no, this meal, he broke the bread, he prayed, he didn't care about the cups, he didn't have hate in his heart. He had love and peace with his brothers. And he ate with unwashed hands because his heart had been washed. So, yeah, then, then after dinner, he goes, what's tomorrow? And they go, Saturday, the Sabbath, of course. And he goes, I'm preaching. I'm preaching. Where's the synagogue? Uh, uh, bro, at once. At once. Your verse says at once. That means the next day, <laughs> just about whenever Sabbath is. Well, where is it? It's two doors down, brother. But we got kicked out of there because we, you know, the J word. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. They'll, they'll listen to me. They know I came to arrest you. All of people like me. Now and now I'm preaching the faith I once tried to destroy. No, no, I got to get up there. Yeah, yeah, okay. And all the Christians are looking at each other like, okay. <laughs> you know, and so we let this guy loose. And so in he walks, a Pharisee from Jerusalem. Oh, brother Saul. Oh, thank you for the honor of coming. Oh, do you have a word for us? And they hand him the scrolls. And here's this subtle opening line. Yes, I do have a word. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's your text. I just came here to arrest Christians and persecute them. But on the way, I had a change of heart. And now I'm going to prove to you from our scriptures that Jesus is the Son of God. And uh, but I, I think many people just, just done. I'm, I'm in the faith because of that beautiful uh, testimony. Now, how did he? How did he get through the memories, the nightmares? You know, he lives about thirty more years. How does he deal with the voices that Satan brings to him, of the woman who cried and begged for mercy as her husband's being torn out of the house with the little kids screaming? He still sees the blood on Stephen's face. He does. He saw it, and he's going, "Yeah." How does he live with that? The blood that was shed on his behalf. He knows that was paid for. And he has to come to terms with that being gone. He's able to do that. It soothes his wounds and his memories. He can let it go because his mercies are new every morning. And the Lord is calling as he is. And when the Lord calls, you need to pick up. Amen. <laughs> Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your love. Thank you for all the takeaways we have from this beautiful passage. Uh, nobody's beyond your reach. and We're just grateful that for our sinful past, we have the cross. It covers over and washes us clean paid for all of those things 
So thank you, God, for a clean conscience through the blood of your son. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rock's podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org. 